Welcome to the Music Business Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Orlando Alvarez, and if you're desperate to break into the music business and want to hear tips and advices from insiders, this podcast is for you. You'll be able to discover from the professionals themselves what it takes to do what they do and where to start if you're a beginner. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Music Business Inside Podcast. Today, uh, it's a pleasure to have with me here in the show, Aaron Bernstein. He's a music teacher for over 25 years. He's a music composer. And um, he has an amazing program coming up, which I want you to hear about because it's going to be really epic. And I wanted to introduce Aaron. So Aaron, uh, say hi to, to the audience. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? And um, it's pretty exciting because uh, Aaron lives here in Portland as well. Um, and we just connected over LinkedIn. It's a pleasure to have you here, Aaron. And um, so I just wanted to go in depth a little bit more about into music theory and how important it is uh, for musicians. It's one of those things that nowadays everyone can make music with an iPad. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone can make music with an iPhone. Um, there's kids doing music all over the place with, you know, barely any knowledge of music as well, just based on, on their ears. I want to discuss a little bit more how important it is for them to know a little bit of music theory, especially your, with your program that is coming up. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, that would be great. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I mean, the first thing I guess I want to say is I think it is great uh, that it's, it's easier than ever in many ways to create music uh, because it should be easy. Um, there's this myth about music that only a select few people, you know, the, the elite, you know, one tenth of one percent, you know, are, you know, have either the skill or the musicality to, uh, to create music. And that just isn't true. It's, I think music making should, should be everybody's province. Um, so I think it's great that it's easy, uh, that we have so many, uh, uh, computerized tools, uh, for creating music. Um, but one of the things, this kind of goes to when I was uh, getting my, um, undergrad degree. Uh, and, um, I, I've, I myself have always been a theory nerd. Uh, <laughs> I just love music theory, but I was approached by a number of other students who said, uh, do I really have to learn about, you know, augmented six chords? Do I have to learn about alternate dominance? You know, when am I ever going to use this as a songwriter or a that's, musician? That's me. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but that's okay because it's, it's a very fair question because mm -hmm. a lot of, it's very hard to teach music theory without it being lecture and a lot of drilling. And uh, it, it can be very daunting and very uh, exasperating after a while. And so I guess, I think the, In a nutshell, the real point of music theory is to answer that very question, when are you going to use it? And um, it's really, I think music theory is kind of like the language of a musical tradition. Uh, it's, it, by, it's, it kind of makes the difference between learning a bunch of pieces, how to play a bunch of pieces, and actually learning skills that will help you to learn on your own. So I guess it would be like a good analogy would be like I could phonetically learn to speak another language. I could phonetically learn to speak a lot of Spanish phrases, but that doesn't mean I'm really able to converse in, in Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what music theory is like. It's, it's making you fluent 
in the language of music. So you don't have to have somebody else teach you how to learn a piece or how to compose, but you actually learn how to do it on your own, which I think is just very empowering. Yeah, that's true. Um, especially uh, the problem I'm seeing more more often is that um, there's a lot of music producers that go into YouTube and there's a bunch of information there. Um, there's really good information as well, but at the same time, it's all scattered and sometimes it can be really, really confusing. So for me, uh, it, was, it was a little bit easier because I went through music school. Uh, back in Cuba, I really studied, um, you know, music full long. I just had to learn the software uh, and the, you know, the technical aspect of it, like, you know, all the rest, EQ and compression and all this stuff that I didn't knew about, but the music, the year was there. So this is training. This is the, that um, base training that you need to be proficient at music. It's the way I see it. And I see so many mistakes that young producers do. And that's why if you have the knowledge of music theory, you know, that base knowledge, that can help you tremendously because you naturally are going to do things that are going to help you um, make your arrangement sound more professional, get more engagement with your music. So uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, you know, it, it started kind of like, I think in the late 70s and the early 80s, where you had you had drum machines and sampling machines. And, you know, there was a time when everybody wanted the sound of, say, John Bonham and Led Zeppelin. You know, I want that big, powerful drum sound. And so Bonham's drumming was sampled and, you know, used and reused. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But when you learn the theory, you actually, you're no longer using somebody else's exact style or performance as a template, but you're getting in there and you're actually creating something new. I mean, certainly influenced by somebody else. There's a difference between, you know, just because you're doing something new doesn't mean you have, you, you don't have influences. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, when, when you have this uh, kind of arsenal of skills, whether they're rhythmic or, or harmonic or melodic or whatever it is, you uh, you just begin to uh, you can create something whether it's a song or a symphony or you know, whatever jazz quintet that is uh, you know really truly something that you have put together and it's not a a collage of of, of samples mm -hmm. yeah it it is more empowering definitely uh, there's tools right now that are unbelievable L let's let's face it digitally things like uh, arcade which is sample based but it has tremendous uh, value for, for people doing, doing music production nowadays. They made it so easy that you can just play one note and that's it. But the problem with that is that what people don't understand is that it's super easy, but if you don't know what you're doing arrangement-wise or um, you know the musicality of it, what are you trying to accomplish? What, what are you trying to express through feelings because it's not the same just grabbing this sample and this and that and and just match it try to match it together is that if you know the music theory actually you can create your own complete world and yeah. you don't have to rely on anything else not yeah. samples not anything you can literally create things from from scratch and 
That's the difference. I'm doing the podcast uh, for people who want to learn more. And uh, I know that you have a, uh, an awesome program coming up, uh, Breaking Bar Lines, right? Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. It's, and I can't tell you how long it took me to come up with that, with that name. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I bet it's a, it's a pretty cool name. I, uh, oh, yeah. good. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you think so. That's, that's good. Um, basically I, I ch chose that name, uh, because, um, I have found, uh, see, I came to music late. I didn't start playing music at all or reading music, really virtually no music education until I was 19. So I came very late to, uh, to it very late in life. And, um, What I realized was that in the course of learning music myself and also in the course of teaching it, I found that there are a lot of genuinely musical people out there. It's not, it's not the kind of thing where, like I talked about before, where just a tiny sliver of humanity has any aptitude. That's not the case. Everybody has some form of musical aptitude. And when I started late, I discovered aptitude that I never knew I had. And, and yet, there, I, th I think the world... Much of the world is under the shadow of the Western European musical tradition, which is an amazing tradition. It's the one that I'm trained in, you know, and uh, but uh, Western music went just so far in the direction of notating music, writing it down and having this really sophisticated notation system. Um, So much so that th there are certain attitudes, kind of Eurocentric attitudes that have really cropped up as a result. And one of them is that if you can't write it down or if you don't know how to read music, that means you're not musical or it's not really music. And that's really unfortunate because most of the world's musical traditions, which are at least as old and, and highly developed as Europe, uh, have not focused on notation. You know, they focus maybe on other things. They focus on rhythmic or melodic complexity or more improvisation. And so, unfortunately, there are a lot of misconceptions about music, um, and they, these are barriers. Um, up, up until earlier this year, I was teaching uh, some community ed music classes at Clark College, and I taught music theory, I taught rhythm, uh, music history, and class piano. And I had these new beginning adult students who had avoided music like the plague, you know, avoided lessons for decades, and they'd be in their 50s, 60s. I even had one uh, woman, she was 80. And she had literally not had lessons in about seven decades. Wow. So coming into that classroom, yeah, for her was a huge deal. And I could sometimes they come in almost like they're um, they're stepping into con like a, a confessional booth. It's like for you know, <laughs> me, it's been 60 years since my last lesson, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I can see their their, their reticence and their fear mm -hmm. about it because all their you know like half their lives they've they've you know been bombarded with these myths that um, you know unless you start early it's too too late. And so that's kind of one of the things I like doing is reassuring new students, if they're beginners, that you have to start somewhere. And there's no shame in a late start. I'm a late beginner. Um, and, and so for me, Breaking Bar Lines is an attempt to make music theory accessible um, and just sort of breaking through these psychological barriers, um, some of which are the result of these myths out there about music. Um, I, it just occurred to me that, you know, one of my I think one of my greatest teachers is mistakes, mistakes that I've made in, in teaching theory and, and piano. Um, and uh, because students, every student learns in a different way. And the, as a teacher, the first thing you realize is that no two students are going to learn the same way. And just because you understand it and learned it a certain way doesn't mean it's going to make sense to, the, you know, to a student. And that doesn't mean they're incapable. It just means you have to change tack and, and kind of broaden this 
sort of a palette of approaches. Um, and so that's one of the things I really try to do with Breaking Bar Lines. So it consists of um, uh, uh, video lessons uh, that are arranged into modules. So I have like fundamentals, learning how to read music if you've never read music before, uh, scales, chords, rhythm, uh, diatonic and chromatic harmony, counterpoint, musical form, all the good stuff. <laughs> nice. uh, and uh, basically, it's as much as possible, I try to make it an ear-first approach so that when, whenever there's a new concept being introduced, you hear it first. That's the whole, really the whole point. You, you can't really teach music theory by lecturing about it first. Mm-hmm. If you want someone to understand the difference between like two, four and six, eight, simple meter, compound meter, you want to let them experience that. Have them get up and clap a measure of two, four, and then a measure of six, eight, go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And by then they understand it. They actually have an experience of it. And then the notation, the actual, actually what it looks like on the page becomes kind of a reinforcement of that rather than trying to start with the page. That's another mistake I made for years um, is starting with the page and trying to get students to understand that way. And it just doesn't work well. It's not really how music is supposed to be taught. Um, so there's a lot of uh, ear first and ear training approach um, and uh, it really getting a lot of humor in it. Uh, just anytime something starts to seem daunting, just laughing at it. You know, like when you get to double sharps and double flats, which everybody hates, you know, no. just laughing at it a little bit and saying, you know, why can't we just call this key G? It looks like G, sounds like G. Why do we have to call it F double sharp? Um, exactly. So. Yeah, just I think that the humor also takes uh, some of the sting out of what could otherwise be, um, you know, pretty daunting stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember when I was learning that. Uh, I mean, that's that's a big part, actually. Just having fun. Music needs to be fun. Needs to be something that you enjoy. Uh, once you stop enjoying it, it's kind of hard. Again, nothing against. Uh, really going at it and really uh, putting your effort in because I know it's painful. <laughs> I, I spent years and years trying to learn. And when I see people, new people trying to, when I see someone uh, saying, hey, I want to learn how to play the drums. Can you teach me? And I'm like, uh, so what's your goal? Oh yeah, I want to learn by, you know, I, I know in a month I'm, I'll be playing already and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not, that's not realistic. And again, you can, you can do so much, but again, it's, it's part of uh, that thing that you need to enjoy it, but at the same time, put the effort to, to actually accomplish something. I'm so glad you're doing a program like that because um, there's so much information that it's missing out there. Um, especially in this subject. And uh, it's great to, you know, just to have a system uh, to learn, you know, learn, learn it all because just looking for one video on YouTube and then another and it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Uh, I always ask, uh, what was your childhood like? And, uh, you know, what developed that music, you know, ear or that music uh, instinct or that love for music? Yeah. I, um, well, as I said, I didn't uh, take lessons as a child at all, but I was surrounded, uh, by music. Um, my, uh, my dad, especially he was heavy into Beethoven and also, um, 
uh, sort of, uh, I guess, 40s jazz. So we had Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman. So, you know, a lot of the old stuff. Um, so I, I always knew that I had a... Um, that I had music inside of me. I've always been stirred by music, whether it was a pop song or whether it was a Beethoven symphony. Um, but uh, I, the funny thing is, uh, in my teens, all throughout high school, I thought I was going to go into astronomy. I had some telescopes. I was an avid uh, backyard astronomer. And I thought, all right, that's me. I'm going to get a PhD in astrophysics and I'm going to work at, I don't know, Jet Propulsion Laboratory and find out about the universe. And then I got to my first semester of college and I hit calculus, and that pretty much ended the whole thing for me. Um, I, uh, it's just, uh, I, it, it was really weird. It was kind of a scary time, and I think a lot of young people who kind of hit, uh, you know, just that those couple of years after high school, where you're really not sure what you're going to do with your life, you're not sure how you're going to make a living. It's a scary time, and so like the fall semester of my first year of college, going over to the spring, I really felt like I was just. Um, kind of falling off the earth and uh, just like into this oblivion of not knowing. And then the following spring, in the spring of 1993, um, really almost on a whim, I decided to just give music a try. And I, I checked out a couple of books from the library, uh, uh, partially taught myself how to read music. I ended up taking some piano classes and uh, eventually had, you know, studied with teachers. And right away I started composing. I mean, right from the beginning, when I just had a minimum of knowledge, I started trying to write my own music, and I've been composing ever since. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually one of the things I like about being a creator. You don't really have to have years of skill under your belt in order to start creating right from the beginning. You could have two notes and two rhythms, and you can actually make a really viable song or piece out of it. Um, and then as your harmonic and... Um, the, uh, you know, rhythmic vocabulary grow, uh, obviously you could do a lot more. But that's another thing that I try to put, uh, I'm trying to put into Breaking Bar Lines is once we've learned a concept, there's uh, going to be like a practice video where you actually take only the skills you've just learned, a couple of things, and see how far you can go with it. When I was learning music for the first time, I, it almost felt like I was sort of um, excavating something that I already really knew except now I was putting a name to all, you know, to all these faces. That mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I've totally heard this chord progression before, and now I know what it's called. It's called Neapolitan, or whatever mm -hmm. it is, an authentic cadence. I just didn't know the terminology. Um, but I, I really feel that anybody can come to music that way, uh, regardless of, you know, how uh, receptive your ear might be or your sense of rhythm. Um, I think it's maybe 1% aptitude and the other 99% is, is really the, uh, you know, the, the learning. And you, you work hard enough at anything for long enough, you're, you're going to get pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's a matter of time and, and practice. And um, just keep at it because... I remember it was hard <laughs> back in school and um, it, it was, you know, it takes, um, takes you really wanting this and, and moving forward with it. I wasn't one of those students. That's why I, I said it before. I'm that student that it's like, do I really need to learn this? And um, the first time I grabbed a, um, a software to, to make music, uh, that was like, you know, the world to me because I was doing my own things. Even even when when I was trying to copy other songs, 
I was doing it with my own sounds and doing my own arrangement and, and all this. And um, it's, it's a wonderful world. Uh, that, that whole creation process, it's amazing. And once you learn all this stuff, all these music theories, um, that, can, that can really, really push you through, through, you know, to another level completely. Do you play any instruments, right? I do, yeah. I play the piano, and um, that was the instrument that, really, that I really took to. I tried the violin, um, and, you know, I, I broke uh, my left index and middle fingers when I was eight. Uh, I had the brilliant idea to go swinging from a bookshelf. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell my, I, I, and I have students, I teach a lot of children and very often uh, they, you know, kids break bones all the time. Mm. And I always tell them, you know, you came by your injury a lot more intelligently than I did. So don't go swinging from any bookshelves. <laughs> um, yeah, because of that, I can't bend those two fingers all the way to my palm. Mm. So I tried the violin and all the notes on those two strings kept coming out sharp because I just couldn't mm. bend finger enough. Uh, but piano is just, yeah, piano is really my instrument. Um, and as a composer, it actually took me a long time to get away from the piano. So I would say that out of the 27 years that I've been composing, it took about 20 years before I felt comfortable writing for the full orchestra. Hmm. Um, so that was like four years ago. I, I finally wrote a symphony. Um, and I, I really didn't entirely know what I was doing, but I, I knew enough, I felt. And I jumped in, I just said, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's okay to do that. Um, you, you can come in armed with some knowledge uh, and just uh, go where it leads you. And to be honest, um, I, some of my best musical ideas have come through, you know, just by making mistakes and, mm -hmm. and thinking, oh, I didn't mean for it to be that chord, but you know what, that sounds even better. Let's go with it. And it's okay to do that. It doesn't make you any less uh, creative. Um, so there, there's an element of, of the accident in mm -hmm. there, which I think is, is okay to embrace, especially if you're learning how to play. Um, and uh, a lot of students are just, you know, children and adults, just horrified of making mistakes. And I, I think it's the job of any music teacher to say that this is part of being a musician is making a mistake and making a lot of them. It's okay. <laughs> so to those people who say, um, you know, learning, learning music this way, learning music theory, learning how to write all the notes and all this, uh, that it's super boring, that the only people who does that, it's the people who are going to compose music for, I don't know, symphony or doing yeah. a, you know, this kind of orchestra work, uh, what would you say to them? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I would say that that is, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, the first thing I would say is again, you know, it's valid to feel that way. Um, again, I mean, I'd like on my bookshelf over here, I have got like two decades of music theory books and just looking at them kind of makes me a little ill, you know, because I've, I've read them, I've done exercises from them. So it's totally understandable to, to feel like yeah, music theory just totally dulls the creative edge. What I would say is if music theory is taught in the right way, um, if it teaches you how to be creative and, and like immediately, then I think it's being done right. If it's being done as a series of drills that have no connection to living, breathing, actual music, then I think we're going on the wrong path. But I think that if you can, again, if you can introduce each new concept in music theory by ear, if you're going to teach, um, uh, say, uh, 
I don't know, like an authentic cadence, like going from five, your five chord to your one chord, you know, don't talk about it first, just listen to some music and not just Beethoven, listen to Elton John, listen to Scott Joplin, some ragtime, any piece that clearly shows that cadence, just hear it in a lot of music so that even if you can't name it yet and it doesn't make sense to you, it does make sense to your ear. And that's really the beginning. And that's really how uh, music should be learned is just by experience. Um, and so I think just as a music theory teacher, I've, I've learned again through successes and failures, (laughs) how to make sure that the minute we learn a new concept, we're already applying it to something creative. We're working with it, maybe creating a short piece out of it, or just really hearing it at work in, in living music. Um, and so just uh, always striking that balance between the need to do that work and all that drilled stuff and then having fun with it and being creative. I think that's the proper way to teach music theory. So I guess, in, I don't know, long story short, that's, that's kind of my answer. <laughs> yeah, no. And um, for me, every time I, I see someone also uh, going at music theory and, and all this and, and uh, basically disparaging all of it, I, I, I always try to kind of lean in and say, hey, you know what? If you knew a little bit of it, you wouldn't believe how good you would get because it's uh it's one of those things uh and throughout my life I experienced that and and I'm so glad uh for that because I had to experience you know like uh, my own music from Cuba, all the traditional you know Latin American yeah. percussion afro Cuban actually uh percussion mm-hmm. and all this stuff and all these genres. Um, that opened one part. Um, once I, uh, m- you know, went into uh, symphony orchestra because I played in the symphony orchestra from my hometown, uh, it was amazing. I mean, uh, just listening to everything from you being a musician in a symphony orchestra is just a, a whole new world of experience and, and uh, ear knowledge that nobody's going to take away from you because you already know it. And that kind of went into my, my absolute delight for uh, cinematic music, uh, music for movies. That's amazing. I love that world from, from movies. And that, that comes from a place of knowing a lot of, uh, you know, this mix of music that I have already on my, under my belt. And that's what people don't, don't understand. If, if you knew a little bit parts of the Caribbean or this crazy, you know, uh, music from, from the movies, you know, oh, here they're doing a 3-4. This is a 6-8 in practicality for, for music producers that are listening to this show and they're so used to the 4-4 that they don't even know it's there. Yeah. And the problem with that is that if you knew that you can change that and you can, in the middle of something, just change that little number there that you don't know what it's for. That can make the arrangement so much interesting. And, and you know, um, there's no limits. Once you learn this stuff, there's no limit to what you can create. And you can basically replicate anything that you want. That's the advantage. That's what I see the, you know, that knowledge coming in and, and making you 10 times better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that that's that speaks to the other advantage of music theory is it basically, I don't know any other way to put it. It's kind of like the why of music. It's basically, it's one thing to do something 
really great and really creative, um, which is great. But if you understand why you've either followed a certain rule or broken it, you know, mm-hmm. as people say, well, rules are made to be broken, but there, there's a difference between breaking a rule <laughs> and never having known about the rule. And I think if mm-hmm. you know the rules and you're consciously saying, okay, this, these rules of voice leading, you know, making sure I don't have parallel fifths and parallel octaves, you know, that's great for Bach. But mm-hmm. for these purposes, I want to break those rules and I know why I'm doing it because it just, I don't want it to sound like Bach. I want it to sound like this. Um, and so I, I just think being able to say why, you know, to, to create something is awesome, but to be able to say why you're doing it this way, just, like you said, it points to having a lot more knowledge and sort of power at your disposal. You sound like you're really steeped in uh, Afro-Cuban music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that at, at times, especially like like West African polyrhythms, I mean, that mm-hmm. is, that can get as far from, as possible from just the standard 4-4. Um, so I was... No, you can, you can get, actually, uh, it's, it's super crazy because when I started studying this, uh, there's this African instruments that it's super typical of uh, Afro-Cuban music, uh, the batas, there are three of them. They have like two heads from, you know, from the two sides. Uh, and there's like three of them. The biggest one has like a big uh, head on one side and a really small one on this side. And uh, there's two more like that, like uh, going in small sizes. You can actually play the three of them by yourself. And it's crazy. Uh, or the actual way it's meant to be placed by three people. So okay. it takes a lot for you to, it's, it's just one beat that you're doing, but you have to listen to the other two people doing it. And at the same time, it's six, eight. And some of these rhythms are like uh, going to six, eight, but one of those drums are going completely in two. So it's kind of a tan-tan-tan-tan-tan-tan and the other one is like tan 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 And it's crazy. It goes like super crazy. And people don't know when when they listen to that, they're like, okay, this is this is completely crazy. But you actually have it written down. And once you see it, when you learn what it is, it's like, wow, this is, this is really, really good. And you can take that and put it in some other place. And that's the advantage. You're just gathering knowledge and you can use it at any time. Yeah. And Afro-Cuban percussion is, is really interesting on that side. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, um, I, I, I was also curious to know, um, so you played at the, uh, you were in, uh, is it called uh, Ulguin? Is that the so yeah, my hometown is Olguin. That's oh. province east of of Cuba. It's uh, so Havana is on the west side, uh, and Olguin is on the other side completely. So yeah. So when you played for the orchestra there, was it uh, was it a, a like a, a European classical uh, symphony orchestra, or or did it incorporate any Afro Cuban music? Yeah, they do both. Actually, they they go full on. Uh, um, all you know, European music, Bach, Beethoven, uh, you, you name it. Uh, yeah, Sostakovich, uh, Tchaikovsky, all of it. Uh, and they also have Cuban pieces done for for orchestra that are really good as well. And they mix um, Latin music with the symphony orchestra as well. It's uh, really interesting as well. Wonderful. I I think that when you're borrowing 
music from another tradition, which I'm very much in favor of. I, I think it just, uh, there's a reason why the, like the European tonal system eventually fell apart at the end of the 19th century and you eventually got Arnold Schoenberg with 12-tone music, uh, which is still, after more than a century, very hard for people to listen to. It, it mm. really, it, it never, you know, found much of an audience outside of academia. Um, but uh, when you're when you're going into somebody else's tradition, I, the thing that I, I most respect is when you when, when when you're making a serious study of somebody else's music. And I think like in in the six when the Beatles were big in the '60s. You know, George, Har- George Harrison, I believe, studied with Ravi Shankar. And so there was this sort of late 60s psychedelic phase where American, uh, Americans started to get interested in uh, tr- like North Indian, uh, Hindustani music. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more of like, I don't know, kind of like an appropriation. So like the Beatles have a song, I think it's Norwegian Wood, where they have a sitar playing in it. And, you know, yeah, that's borrowing the flavor of somebody else's tradition, but it doesn't really mean that they looked, de- you know, in depth at Northern Indian music. Whereas somebody like John McLaughlin, uh, he formed a group, I think it was called um, Shakti in the 1970s. He worked with uh, Indian musicians. And you can tell that he had made a very serious study that he looked at the Indian ragas and the Indian uh, talas, the rhythmic cycles, mm-hmm. and tried to see where they had common ground with jazz scales mm-hmm. and, and rhythms used in jazz. Uh, and so, I mean, it's up for debate how successful that fusion was, but when you listen to it, you can tell that this is someone who's really tried to get inside somebody mm-hmm. else's tradition. And I, I just have a lot of respect for that. Um, uh, just really uh, looking at, at the best of what another culture or tradition has to, has to offer and seeing if you can find common ground with it. Um, and that's, yeah, like you said, that's just a wonderful uh, thing. And it's, it's a huge world of musical language, just an immense world. That's how we ended up with uh, uh, things like Latin jazz as well yeah. uh, that I shared with you. Uh, Uh, and uh, it's it's just that fusion of of many things, you know. Yeah. It's uh, because Cuban music has many many traditions. It's it's you know it's music from Africa, but it's also music from Spain. So we have the guitars there. We have the bass. Um, Cuban traditional music used the the you know the upright bass actually we have another instrument for bass which is the um marimbula which is another it's like a piece of wood uh that it has like three metal three metal things that you play and it it, it goes into the that box and makes a bass sound um it's super interesting all this music with the african roots because once i started listening to brazilian music I start connecting the dots with things we do in Cuba, uh, with Cuban music that sounds so similar. And it's just a, a matter of uh, the swing to it. Brazilian music has a swing to some of the beats, especially percussive, you know, percussive instruments. And Cuban has another another flavor to it. And it's pretty cool to see those connections once, once you know. For me, Cuban music, which is... Uh, has influenced so much because we have so many genres. Cubans don't even know that much right now. Music in Cuba has denigrated so much. And uh, there's people outside of Cuba actually doing the genres that we lost completely, like, you know, Danzón or Pilón or 
cha 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 or all these genres that nobody in Cuba does it anymore. Nowadays, it's more pop music or reggaeton or you know, it's it's all this stuff and uh, it's hard for me. For me, I want to see like uh, people you know grabbing all that and 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 pulling back together and and creating something new. There's a guy who does um, funk. But it's uh, with with Cuban stuff. It's like uh, wow. Afro funk, something like that. The name of this guy, uh, it's Sima Funk. That's uh, the name of the band, actually. Uh, it's C I M A Funk. Okay, all together, and it's super interesting. Uh, <laughs> just listen to it. It's it's uh, it's basically funk but mixed with uh with cuban you know cuban cuban music i'm gonna do a flash round because i always do that in super fun only rule is that you need to answer as as fast as you can <laughs> okay so what would you be doing right now if you if it wasn't for your current job uh do you mean my teaching job uh, teaching, I would probably be working full-time on breaking bar lines. Um, uh, the video editing process is, is um, it's very enjoyable, but it's really, really time-consuming. And it can take mm. like a week and a half to two weeks just to produce one video. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's probably what I'd be doing is just hitting that, you know, six days a week. <laughs> nice. Um, what is the most useless talent you have? The most useless talent I have... Um, I would say flipping knives. Uh, for some reason, I'm, I'm kind of a weirdo. I um, like I'll take a paring knife from the kitchen. I've done this since I was a teenager, and just like flip it, do like a flip and a half double flip, and then watch it half the time fall to the floor. Um, so nothing. There's no skill in my life that has ever really come to fruition because of that. So that that would have to be it. So which famous uh, musicians do you admire? Um, let's see. Uh, well, the, the one I, um, I mentioned before, uh, John McLaughlin, um, uh, with his group, uh, Shakti, I admire him very much. Um, just musicians or composers also. Both. Well, I'd say my, uh, my favorite classical composer would be Brahms. Um, I, he's just, uh, I don't know, his, his whole musical language just, um, on both an, I think an intellectual and an emotional level just really speaks to me. The 19th century, Clara Schumann, wife of Robert Schumann, she, uh, she, this woman toured throughout Europe as a virtuoso pianist and she had seven kids. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how she, uh, how she did that. Uh, and then wow. in the modern time, um, I really love Billy Joel. I just really admire him as a songwriter. And one of the musicians I admire, uh, tremendously right now is um, he actually is another guy who uh, teaches at the school that I'm at. Um, uh, we both teach at a, a small private school in uh, Portland and he's a jazz musician and he just is, he's like a storm on the piano. He can just do anything. And I, uh, I, I really, really admire his skill. He's, it's amazing to watch. Nice. What is the best advice you've been given? Um, dare to make mistakes. And that is, that is a difficult thing for me because I, I kind of think of myself as a recovering perfectionist. And yet when I teach, I, I teach students that perfectionism is like a stranglehold. The greatest way to learn, the greatest way to discover is to just do something, mess it up, and see what the result is. And the result is always going to be something interesting and will teach you something. So <laughs> that's, that's so true. Um, everything that you do, it's actually teaching you and you're, it's, a, it's a growing experience, actually, for yeah. you. 
and music theory can help with that. It really can because it helps you to trust yourself. And mm-hmm. that's part a huge part of improvising is trusting that you're whatever you do, whatever you commit to, it's going to work one way or another. Um, yeah, that's 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 hard to settle into. It takes a while to settle into to be comfortable with that. Yeah, it's just seeking uh, experiences. If you could change anything about the music industry uh, today, what what would it be? Um, I would say. Um, a, per, a person's musical tradition is, I think, a huge part of their culture's language. And when you have sort of a global, um, when you have a global mainstream uh, genre, uh, you know, like pop or something, and it comes in and it, it to like a certain region in the world, to, to a country, and it begins to replace, like you were saying, it largely has replaced a lot of these uh, older uh, uh, Cuban uh, genres. Um and that newer generations tend to forget those older genres. I, I, I guess my wish would be to just have a healthier balance between, you know, the sort of global main globalized mainstream and the, and keeping these older traditions, musical traditions alive so that there's, there's less of a, there's less of a friction between them and more of like a cooperation. Um, and I think you were talking about Brazil a minute ago. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know Brazilian music that well, but I know that there are these two competing styles. There's the, I think it's called Caipira, which is sort of a more uh, traditional folksy style. And then there's Sertanesia, which is sort of the more mainstream pop uh, sound. And, you know, the musicians on both sides are amazing, but mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of friction between that and a lot of debate. And I just think that if there were some way to have more of a balance... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that's what I'd like to see happen in, in the, the music industry. I know that's a big like monolithic term, but um, yeah, to, to just make sure that we can have a globalized mainstream without it being at the expense of you know this rich fabric of, uh, of older traditions. The more music you know and the more music you listen to, uh, not only like what you think it's gonna you know push you your career forward. It's like listen to everything. Um, and I mean like everything and you're going to start realizing, oh, wow, this is super interesting. And this rhythm, it's so, uh, so much like this other rhythm from another different country, which has nothing to do with each other and just start seeing connections. And that only, um, brings your musical expertise to, to another level and opens your mind to another things because, It only makes you a better composer, a better musician, the more music you you listen to, because it's just experience. I and I, I agree. It's and it takes some. Um, it takes a little bit of courage and just it, more than anything, persistence. You you hear a genre of music, or even if it's just a a, a songwriter, and you don't care for them right off the bat. The the really the best thing you can do is just keep listening. Eventually, you, you may never end up liking a certain genre, but at least you now have incorporated that into your experience and can maybe use it in some way. Um, uh, so yeah, it's just, just being persistent with uh, musical experiences and um, you know, just trying not to shut try not to shut it down every time you encounter something new. And it's, it's hard, you know, because, you know, the minute something new comes around, you're not used to it. It's, um, it's natural to feel a kind of apprehensive. But, um, yeah, to just push through that um, and listen again. I, I think it's a, it's a good advice for anybody. It's just finding that originality and, and doing that musically and uh, realizing that there's people that are going to listen to your music if, if you do something interesting, you know? 
Yeah. I, I, and I think music theory in a way is, um, it's kind of a way to, to take all these, um, it's, it's sort of like a more, I don't want to call it academic, but a more educational, uh, analog of taking different musical traditions and taking, um, uh, just different genres and expanding your vocabulary, um, and just having more to work with. It really is. So where can people find, uh, so when are you releasing actually, uh, Breaking Bar Lines and uh, where can people find it and find your work as well? Uh, well, I have a, uh, website, uh, it's, uh, simply breakingbarlines.com. And, uh, right now, uh, if you want three free video lessons, um, uh, all you have to do is just, uh, um, type in your email and I'll send those to you, including uh, worksheets uh, that will help you just kind of deal with the concepts in the videos. Uh, and then the actual launch is going to be with sort of like my core curriculum. That's going to, um, I'm hoping to do that on or about November 1st this year. So in about six weeks, awesome. um, but you can also check out a lot of other information on my YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just type in breaking bar lines or Aaron Bernstein and you'll see, you can just go right to my uh, channel. Uh, and if you like it, you can subscribe. I'm, I, I love getting new subscribers. It's like a, you know, a little present online. Um, I also have a Facebook page, and that has uh, additional information, uh, including um, uh, weekly. It's been a couple of weeks since I've done one of these, but um, every week or every other week, I have like sort of a video sample of a new lesson. So it's not the complete lesson, but it's like a 50-second sample of what that video lesson will be like. Um, And then I also have some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff on Instagram. Uh, just go to Breaking Bar Lines on Instagram, and you can see sort of um, uh, film set shots and other interesting information about uh, just my teaching philosophy. And um, uh, I got married last year, so there's one or two uh, <laughs> uh, pictures of me and my wife up there. So a couple of awesome. random. Congrats! Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, it's been—I mean—it's been a tremendous pleasure talking to you. And oh, me too. Going, uh, going into into this world of uh, music theory, which is, I think, so underrated, and um, I I think there's a lot of value um, in it that, for some reason, not that many people see. But again, it's amazing. It can make you such a good musician in a short time actually if you put the effort to to learn a little bit the curriculum itself you there will be a suggested um order of of video viewing but i'm also conscious that a lot of people will be coming to my curriculum who already have a lot of knowledge maybe they're great at rhythm and meter but they need to brush up on harmony so mm -hmm. it, it won't it's not the kind of site where you're forced to watch everything in a certain order you can skip around and jump between modules and see any lesson in any order And I just think that's, I just think that's the best, the most user-friendly way. Uh, to, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because there's, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that are going to come with different uh, experience on, on right. music theory. So, um, for sure, definitely. Um, I, again, I congratulate you for creating this. I uh, wish you all the best. Uh, you know, the invitation is open for whenever you want to, Uh, come back Absolutely. as well. And uh, thank you so much. Um, it's, a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you too. And I, uh, this is the first podcast I've, uh, I've ever done. And um, I'm, it's, it's really been, uh, uh, I just feel privileged that I, I'm not only doing this podcast, but um, that I'm talking to, to uh, you know, a musician who has such a, a, a rich background of, uh, of knowledge and experience. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I really appreciate this uh, podcast that you put together. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, see you on the next one. Thank you so much. You take care.